Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. I just woke up from a nap. Uh, as not one been, does. Yeah, as one does at, you know, 3 p.m. Um, I I did not sleep well last night. For some reason, I was very, very tired, but just, like, couldn't get to sleep, you know? And then I just got to the point where I was exhausted but couldn't fall asleep and just in a bad mood. Uh, so took a little nap that tends to cure things. I feel okay now, but a little sleepy and you're, uh, I guess hopped up on painkillers. Well, yeah. Just, just the way you like to do these shows. Yeah. Having a bit of a, a shoulder issue today, which flares up from time to time. So maybe not a hundred percent optimal Brian, but let's be honest. I, I don't know that hundred percent optimal Brian has showed up to the podcast in quite some time. So it should just be business as usual. Maybe maybe painkiller Brian is just exactly maybe, maybe what this the doctor is what the doctor ordered. ordered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this this one's going to be interesting because uh, I don't know. We're not really talking about like magic the cards, I guess, uh, so much because last weekend there was a pro tour in Minneapolis that was standard, first big uh, standard event outside of the RCs in quite some time, and. I think it was it was either right before top four or the finals, they did this sort of surprise announcement that basically just meant that well, I don't want to say it meant this, but like what what they tried to convey was that they were going to like refocus their efforts on making standard like a playable and uh, I don't know, trying to get to back to be a popular format and whatnot. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, if what they say is true, the dedication is there and they have a good plan in place, I think that this is good news. The thing that struck me as somewhat strange with it is I know that that's normally when they do those sorts of announcements, but the timing is just weird to me because if what they wanted to do was... In, in this instance, uh, you know, standard is going to be three years worth of sets instead of two, which means that they're not rotating. I feel like if they announced that before the Pro Tour, people would be more interested in the Pro Tour, right? Oh, good point, Gerald. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but I agree with you. That makes a lot of sense to me. So that was kind of weird to me, but I don't know, like, because they... They sat down and they had that announcement and I was like, oh, like this actually matters a lot more. Like this tournament matters a, a lot more than it did five minutes ago or whatever. And then I was just like, why are they doing this now? <laughs> like, granted, the numbers for the event were not bad. Yeah. And it wasn't uh, one of those uh, very suspicious looking spikes where it's like, okay, uh, this this seems like there's some sort of view body going on or whatever. Like it, it did seem authentic. Right. So. It did. It did. And I, I thought it was a pretty nice production. I mean, it was certainly on my end bolstered by the fact that some people I really like were participating in the top eight. That will always get my viewership. And uh, I had I had some horses Kane. to root for. Yeah. Kane. Autumn, Autumn as well. Of course, no, always, of course. Always a fan of Autumn. But they both put on some really excellent performances. And for Kane, kind of like a breakthrough performance. Right. I remember telling them just years ago, whatever you want to do in Magic you will be able to do. And this was after Kane had a, a really unfortunate uh, scenario at a Pro Tour years ago where actually slept through day two through really no fault of their own. And, uh, you know, was down. And I was just like, 
you will do whatever you need to do in this game. You will be great. I'm sorry. I know this is hard, but I'm confident you're going to do great things. And to see Kane finally deliver on it, really, really awesome. Yeah, agreed. Uh, d- sometimes it just takes time, you know? Yeah. And I thought about that a lot this weekend, actually, like how many narratives, like even someone like Nathan, who is now on one of the most dominant runs in magic history, like legitimately rivaling Kai, which I didn't think is something I would ever say again, especially with the texture of the modern game. I just didn't know that those edges were actually available to that extent. Um, And he was probably great for a very long time. Like I know he's young and I know his skills have rapidly expanded, but just if things had broken a, a few different ways, you know, three years ago, four years ago, this could just be an ongoing thing where Nathan had been a dominant fixture for a very long time. And it, well, it, it is kind of funny how these things happen in magic. Nathan is, is what, 18, 19? I mean, incredibly, unfathom, unfathomably young for someone like me. Right. And part I of- I also, the- wait, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but at some point people were casting the finals as uh, boomer versus zoomer. And if Kane's a boomer, I am just fucked. Like I am literally. I'm a court. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. That's just so because Kane doesn't even look old. No. Kane um, isn't old. Kane is very young. Anyway, what I was getting to with the youngness aspect of it is some of that success has come from qualifying online, I believe, which they still have the stuff in place where, like, if you're a minor, you can't qualify for things. Very true. So. Very true. That that could be part of it, too, where I mean, I, I know that a lot of like certainly Nathan was at almost every single Grand Prix, it seemed like for years that I went to. And uh, it's it's not like he was taking a break when he was at home or whatever. Like, as far as I know, he was still playing Magic Online and everything. So, yeah, a fixture if, of Magic Online for sure. If, if half the way that you engage with Magic, you can't qualify off of like. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably why this took so long. It was probably a, a small part of it, at least. Fair enough, yeah. But also now has, like, a, a very talented team to work with as well. Mm-hmm. That always helps. Yeah, in, 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 in the case of Autumn, obviously we love Autumn on the cast, but Autumn has previously won a Pro Tour. So yeah. at, at that point, it's just like, you made top eight and we're happy for you, but also we're not surprised. You know, like, we know exactly how good you are. And like, if you keep showing up, yeah, eventually you're going to do well again. So uh, it, it being Kane's first one, I was super happy to see. Same, same. But yeah, uh, the plan, as they have outlined, there's like this very, very small article. I'm surprised that it's like this short uh, on... I went to dailymtg.com, which redirected me to a different website. Yeah, not a real site, but we got there eventually. Magic.wizards.com slash en slash news. That's that's something. So, okay. Uh, where to start with this? Uh, we'll be rolling out multifaceted plans over the coming months. Today is step one. That step is that we're going to extend the life cycle of all cards in standard by one year, starting with the current standard environment. Sets will rotate out every three years rather than every two years. This is very funny, given our cast last week, which got released late, by the way. It came out uh, on, I don't know, maybe maybe Tuesday. So just a, a couple days before we're recording this. And so we were actually heavily talking about, you know, what's supposed to happen with standard. We're about to do a rotation. Uh, the 
ubiquity of cards like Fable of the Mirror Breaker and Bankbuster. And so we ended up putting out this incredibly out of touch, out of date podcast, uh, which is, is very funny to me, actually. But now it gets to function as kind of a time capsule. Yeah. Uh, you know, normally you dig those up after like 10, 20 years, but. No, just the next day. Uh, article goes on to say, uh, extending standard will give current standard cards more longevity, will allow mechanics and archetypes to be more effectively built on over time. And it gives us stronger tools to create an environment where decks are more colors and mechanic like green, white, toxic or blue, white soldiers and less mid range. We believe this will give standard more stability, more vitality and strengthen it for local game stores. Um, man, where, where do you want to start, Brian? All right. I, I think as a threshold matter, I need to say that I think this is a good call. I think on the whole, this is very, very important for the long-term health of Magic. I think this is something I've personally missed a lot. And and when I say this, I mean standard mattering. Just the goal here is something I've missed a lot. Yeah. So, so good goal, great goal. Where I start to question a little bit of how this is presented is in... Uh, the explanation of how it's going to be achieved, what they view as the actual problem with standard. And I also feel like a lot of what's being said here is sort of in contravention of the past. Like it ignores a lot of how standard was successful before. And so I guess I could take it like point by point of those three bullet points you mentioned. Start with the first one. This will give current standard cards more longevity. Technically true. Obviously, there's, there's nothing to dispute there. Um, and I do think this is really important. I think the the appetite for a game that is so quickly rotational and cards that are just, you know, zero to 60 in terms of their value and then 60 to zero just as fast, I don't think that exists anymore. I think that actually is a problem that has dried up. It was something that we accepted kind of by inertia. And then once that broke, it was never going to come back. Nobody was ever going to cling to the idea of, oh, I buy my standard cards every single set release, then they're gone in two years, and that's just how magic is, and I deal with it because there's all these events that I like to play. Yeah, and I mean, first, Modern existed uh, basically because Eric Lauer had a dream that your standard cards would have a place to be played once they rotated. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, Modern got... That didn't work. Yeah, Modern got way too powerful to the point where basically no standard cards from making it in. Now things are a little bit different because the standard cards are a lot more powerful, but it, it still doesn't really solve the issue. And as someone who spends probably like a decade maintaining a, like a very strong collection for, you know, standard modern, etc. Like I had a box of like standard cards and then a box of modern stuff and then a box of maybe stuff. Right. Yep. And as soon as the stuff was out of standard, it just it basically went in the trash, like the vast majority of it all the time. So, uh, yeah, that didn't work. And then Pioneer came along, and for a little bit, that format was was kind of the same where, all right, you know, some stuff shows up here and there. And now I think, again, we're, we're sort of back to a point where Pioneer consists of a lot of standard cards, actually, and a lot of the sets 
which I, I think is honestly great, is that like a lot of them have more and more shots that do actually make it into Pioneer. So that's cool, but I also just don't think that that's like a very realistic goal. You know, it's like the standard cards just on the whole, if, you know, your deck rotates, you're still losing like 90, 95% of the value. And it's, it's not enough, you know, like maybe, maybe like some of your dual lands carry over or something, but even then it's just, it is definitely not enough for that goal to realistically exist. Yeah. Well said. I, I mean, I agree with everything you're putting forth there. I, I think too, one of the interesting things about wanting to give standard card cards more longevity, I don't know that you were supposed to do it at the expense of rotations. I think rotations are net positive for standard i was always on record saying i wanted more rotations not fewer rotations i would have loved to see three years with a one in one out and what that actually does is it means every set gets exactly three years which is advancing this goal of giving standard cards more longevity while simultaneously preserving that fresh feel which is so critical i think for standard environment and is the way you get people to be interested, like people do not want to play Rakdos Mirrors for three years. They just don't. That, that cannot be what standard looks like. And I'm going to talk more about like how I see them dealing with that, what the approach should be. But I, I do think step one should have been more rotations, not the same number of rotations just spaced out over a larger time. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, that is how most digital card games do it, which is, I don't know, it is a lot to track, you know? It's just like every time a set comes out, then you have to like pay attention to like what's also leaving and whatever. But like the digital clients just do it automatically for you, right? If you're trying to build a standard deck or something, it just won't show you illegal cards, right? You don't have to think about it. You just build what you have. But And you just have to accept the reality of how decks are built these days. Like they're all built via scryfall or a similar tool like you're just always going to have that available to you and that confusion there's just such a tremendous level of buying at this point to actually understand magic and what is legal and what isn't that minimizing churn to try and create consistency and understanding it's not doing the job it can't do the job you're asking it to carry such a tremendous tremendous weight and I think if that was the reason not to go with more rotations, it was a real misstep. Yeah. And maybe it's like less of a burden on on us, like on the players, than it is on the developers. To, to just like minimize those rotations, right? I I don't know about that. I think a lot of that would have to, I would have to know more about the internal processes at Wizards to say whether that's true or not. Well, as someone who kept, you know, 30 physical decks on my desk at any given time, if every time a new set entered FFL, I had to then go and update all of those decks, that would be kind of a pain in the ass. Just having to do things manually is not that great. Uh, That I can 100% relate to. So, so yes, I will, I will give you that one. And maybe that is the reason. And I, I do think that is a valid reason, by the way, if it is like you have to be conscious of development resources. You really, really do. You have to think about that a lot. And I actually think that's where a lot of this decision stems from is trying to 
give developers some more tools, some more options. Uh, and and so if you told me that was the reason, great, I understand. And uh, that kind of goes back to this messaging too. It's just like, I still don't trust everything that Wizard says to me. Like, I don't think they tell me the whole story. And if that was the reason, I don't have confidence that they would actually put that forth as the reason. I agree. I wish, I wish they would though. Like yeah, that, same. That's the type of communication I do want, but. Ah oh, man, I could go. I could go down that rabbit hole. I I will just say that I believe there is a world in which they can retake the narrative on that stuff, and instead they choose to be silent. And I think that that's a missed opportunity. And I know that that is not necessarily how some of the folks on the inside feel. Like mm-hmm. they they feel like the more information they share, the more chances it gives people to like basically attack them on Twitter. And obviously they want to do everything in their power to just not have that happen because that sucks. It does suck. But I, I was literally having a conversation very much rooted in this the other day in my job. And I'm going to try and think of how to relay the story without getting into specifics. Basically, there was something we were debating doing and doing this thing sort of signified to the player base that we had a very high level understanding of what was going on, um, but we're choosing to make like an informed decision and not an uninformed decision. Yeah. However, giving this information would have given a lot of clues to the player base of like some of the other things we view as powerful, I guess is the cleanest way to say it. Um, and that meant the exact consequence of making the statement was basically to make ourselves look smart. That's all it did is just like assure people that we know what's going on. And the reality is for the health of the game, we were just supposed to take the L in that spot. Like we're just supposed to look a little stupid if things go wrong and be like, you know, explain after the fact. And then people will, there'll always be people who are like, oh, idiots, they don't know what they're talking about. They miss this. But like, yeah, sometimes you just have to look a little silly and and that's fine. And you don't make decisions that hurt the health of the game just to make yourself uh, you know, have an easier time dealing with social media. I think it's it's just a path that you can't win on anyway. So why actually make your communication and your game worse by doing so? Yeah, it was a so, really interesting spot. I wish I could give more context for it, but uh, I'd probably give away too much info if I did. No, nah, yeah, that's all good. Um, I think that this is this is kind of like veering off topic real quick but i do want to slide this in here before we get too far down the rabbit hole but like i i do think that standard is important uh mostly just because magic needs a lower buy-in way to actually engage with the game right like it can't all just be modern and pioneer where decks are like 300 plus dollars right and maybe that's um, that's being generous. That's on the low end. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know what the average pioneer deck price is these days, but uh, now I'm kind of curious. Well, do you think though, I think what you mean to say, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you mean to say that there needs to be a way to engage with the competitive game more cheaply? Cause there are ways to engage with the broader game, like the ways you engage with the broader game cheaply, Yes, the, like the commander the, precons and things like that. The the competitive aspect for sure because I mean that's that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Um 
if if you had a group of friends that you wanted to play commander with, proxy your shit. You know, mm-hmm. basically everyone is accepting of that at this point. Uh, if if you don't want to spend like hundreds of dollars on cards or whatever, like you you don't have to. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Just not necessary. Uh, yeah, but from an idea of there needs to be a lower stakes buy-in to the competitive scene. If you believe like the pro tour and, you know, that aspirational play model is critical to the long-term growth of your game, then yeah, you have to have a funnel to get people involved in that. And it certainly needs to look something like standard. Yeah. But the thing was, is over time, standard ends up being way more expensive than something like pioneer or modern. If you only maintained like one or two decks in those formats, right? Because it's just, Every rotation, you end up spending like another $300 to acquire a deck or whatever. And like, God forbid you ever want to change decks. Yeah, I, I know that there's like when there was a very highly competitive standard scene, there were kind of like rotational purchase players, which I think was actually a huge part of game store strategy, at least around me, the way our game stores work before Commander popped up was just like there's this entire group of players who couldn't afford to keep a full standard collection so basically they'd buy a standard deck then they'd sell you back a bunch of pieces of that standard deck buy another standard deck sell you a bunch of pieces of that and just constantly keep this rotation going over and over and it made a lot of churn in single stock for these stores right and that i don't think they get to do anymore yeah it is very rare that someone is just like wholesale buying a brand new deck you know it's like usually they have something else to trade in or whatever but like just something that keeps it a little bit on the cheaper end. And like, okay, so looking at uh, Pioneer decks now, uh, a lot of the top decks are like four to 600, but there are things like mm. Lotus Field that's like 300. The monocolored aggro decks are like 200. So like, that's not bad, but, you know, average Pioneer deck being like high 400s, low 500s is is a lot, right? And there needs to be a slightly cheaper way to do that if you just want to, like, you know, play Magic for 6 to 12 months or something. It's like, I, I got the itch. I want to get back into this. Maybe you have, like, some friends that are going to some events that are coming up or whatever. It's like, it can't all be just, like, a $500 buy-in. It's just too much. So, yeah, I think the standard is important for that. And, uh, yeah, just, I don't know, like, not, not everyone's a lifer, you know? It's like... Certainly a lot of people are, but not everyone. And it can't all just be modern and pioneer, unfortunately, because there's also a barrier to entry as far as like format knowledge and just the fact that like yeah. there's so many cards in each of those formats. Yeah, I think also like the opportunity for creativity is a huge boon with a good, healthy standard format. Like so much of my joy that I ever derived from Magic brewing new standard decks trying to break formats and you know like folks like aspiring spike very much proved this theory wrong but you kind of can't do that in modern like or or you can but 99.9 percent of what you do is going to ultimately be a failure and you, you don't get many successes because the power level is so high and if you turn your back exactly on sort of the primary method of interaction or the primary axis on which decks exist you just get blown out of the water so so quickly standard you can get away with that if the power level is low enough though yeah and i i think that is a huge part of what is missing from my personal magic experience for a long time now man the funny thing about this is 
like, yes, technically standard cards will have more longevity, right? You, you'll be able to play with your cards for almost three years in a lot of instances. But realistically, the kind of stuff that you're talking about too tends to lend itself more to formats that, you know, you're you're basically saying like a wider card pool, right? It's like more toys to play with, more uh, potential like ideas to exist in everything. And I think I would argue that like, these standard formats. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to say this, but then I'm going to maybe just automatically refute my point. But it's like there are more playable cards these days than there were five years ago, right? So in a way already, like standard now has a wider card pool to draw from than it did back then. It it absolutely does. The problem is the apex of standard is yes. so so high and yes. that's where so much of it gets pushed out it doesn't it doesn't have to be in theory no. right no, and, okay so a lot of this announcement is met with a lot of trepidation because it's like okay 60 you know whatever five percent of the pro tour played fable the mirror breaker like and now you're saying that it's not actually going to rotate like we thought it was like clearly this has to come with another announcement, right? Like some some sort of like BNR. And I do I do have faith that that will happen. Yeah, so give me one moment. I want to find something I saw in our Discord today. I guess there was a chat uh over on the official Magic Discord and some folks pulled quotes from it. And here's a quote from Andrew B. I feel like that's our buddy Andrew Brown. I would assume so. And it says uh, yes, we are going to update how and when bans happen. We want to be as clear and transparent with the community on when and why things are happening. So I, I think that sort of answers that question that these things are on the radar. Uh, and it's good of Andrew to recognize that like there isn't the level of clarity and transparency there needs to be around these things. And hopefully yeah. that gets built in as part of this announcement. And clearly there is some expectation of like, okay, what are you going to do about Fable, right? Because... Yeah. When you're looking at, oh, what sort of mid-range thing can I do? What sort of multicolored thing can I do? What sort of like three drops should I include in my deck? Like, how should my red deck be built? It's just like Fable kind of answers a lot of those questions, right? And it effectively sits on top of so much stuff that is in similar design space because it is just the, the best thing you can be doing in that slot. And that just informs a lot of your decisions, right? So you are right that the Apex stuff does invalidate a lot of the other like technically playable cards that do exist in the format to the point where the format feels smaller than what it actually is. So yeah. if they address that stuff and if things like Fable happen either less often or they're more willing to ban stuff like that, which I think is fine because you, you kind of got to this earlier, but like Sander doesn't necessarily influence the secondary market of things anymore, right? So oh, it is it is very rare when there's a card like Fable that is upwards of $30 that it is being driven by standard prices. And if if you ban my Fables, which I semi-recently just purchased, like within the last couple months, like who cares? Because I matter. still have, have them for Modern Pioneer, whatever. Yep. It should and not then, affect the price whatsoever at this point. And if you are a standard player and you have access to a reasonable collection. It's not like it just, you know, Rakdos will still be a thing, right? There are still plenty of uh, 
viable reasons to play black and red cards together. It's not just Fable. Um, but in theory, that does unlock more of your collection to actually be playable and have value as well. So, yep. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And we're starting to get to the point of these next two bullet points. And I, I do think we can sort of mush them together. And I'll just, I'll give my preface now. This is probably where I get pretty negative and skeptical around this announcement. So you may feel free to bounce if that's not your thing. Uh, but the next two bullet points. It will allow mechanics and archetypes to be more effectively built on over time. As we have moved away from the block model, we gained a lot of flexibility, but we also lost some ability to build on mechanics and themes within a set. With a longer window, we can find more opportunities to build up or revitalize archetypes. Coupled with the point above, that can lead to more diversity, longer lasting archetypes, and enough competitive churn to keep players engaged. And I'm just gonna hit the second point as well. It also gives us stronger tools to create an environment where decks are more colors and mechanic, like green, white, toxic, or blue, white soldiers, and less mid-range. With a larger card pool, the format can handle bigger swings with entire decks seated at once. Can I nitpick real quick? Please do. Uh, yeah, color plus mechanic, and then they, they name blue, white soldiers. Uh, the blue, white color pair for March of the Machine is Knights. Mm. And there's like, I don't know, five cards that do things relating to Knights. It's like, yo, that's that's not a mechanic. No, no, it's not. Good uh, nitpicking, in, I approve. In, in, yeah, in this instance, like, you know, tribal constructed deck, that rules, right? But just... <laughs> I, it's just one of those things where I was like trying to figure out what the archetypes were without reading anything, right? Just from like going over the card list. And I was like, I don't get it because there's very few cards, especially at lower rarity that actually like mention like, oh, you know, if you have knights, do X or whatever. And mm. to the point where it was like, I didn't even realize that some of the things like were knights or were not knights because it just wasn't on my radar as a thing that I needed to pay attention to. All yeah, not something you needed to care about. Sure. Uh Fair so enough. I was just like, what? I, I don't know what the hell happened there, but they're like the the as fan for night matter stuff, like the blue white mechanic. It just it, it almost non-existent. It's wild. Anyway, all right. So these two points, I think they're mostly bullshit. There there is something to the idea of like allowing mechanics and archetypes to be more effectively built over time kind of like the, the development timing is such where like you'll see the first application of these cards in standard but like basically just as you're probably designing the ones that'll be on the tail end of standard if i were to guess my timelines appropriately it's which... it's, it's basically a year of of lead time right so if something comes out in set four and then uh you know gets released by the time you can start addressing that will be like set eight by the time stuff rotates you know, by the time that you see it, like actually in in the wild, and can determine whether or not, like, oh, that didn't hit as well as we thought it did. It kind of like needs this effect. We overlooked it. Um, we would really love to put something in the next set. Well, by that time, like your thing is going to rotate out. Yeah, I, I also like agree with you on the dev side. I don't know if that is the same on the design side, though. Like, I don't know how much further design works in advance than dev does. Yeah, but I, you know, if if you're talking about uh, like seeding decks for constructed design doesn't care about that. Shouldn't they? I, I mean, I guess I don't, again, I, I don't know enough about how things work on the wizard side. So 
maybe I they're they're just, just trying to they're just trying to make dope magic cards, you know. But it's like whether or not something's like a four mana two two or a two mana two two, and is therefore like able to play uh, pretty well in you know competitive standard or pioneer or whatever. It's like that's not a decision they make. Yeah, but I'm looking at kind of on a broader scale where like you, we'll just keep it very simple. Like you make soldiers and a set and then you expect soldiers to be like a standard thing and soldiers don't matter in standard so you make the decision to go back to soldiers in year three of standard and finally boost that archetype archetype up that has to come from the design side right well soldiers is a weird thing because presumably there's going to be enough small ones and enough reasonable payoffs yeah yeah have something more narrow than that like toxic or something you know again small creature deck it's like yeah hopefully there should be enough pieces here but like what would be uh, a good, like, playable mechanic? Even stuff like the, the enchantments. So, like, all right, let's make a bunch of, like, one and two mana creatures. Like, this is how we're going to do enchantments in this block or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I guess this only applies, like, really hard for the most parasitic things possible, right? Like, things that only work with more of the exact same thing. Right. And I, I don't know. I feel like even when... Energy? Energy kind of comes to mind? That's exactly where I was going to go, was yeah. it, when design concepted energy did they care whether or not that would show up in standard i don't think they did i think they're just like you know here's some stuff that does some stuff with energy and it's like if whirler virtuoso was a four mana uh like three three or something three four like what would they have cared i don't think they would have cared at all so like it, it is development development's job to be like all right we need this to be a little bit more aggressively standard for limited and then also maybe constructed although whirler virtuoso is probably a bad example because i think that was the one where they're just like oh we didn't even try this in constructed yeah but you know yeah Um, it's stuff like that where it's just like when where did a tune with ether get concepted right do you think it was design or development oh that feels like design to me i kind of feel the opposite really yeah i feel like Attune was exactly the sort of enabler that you would only come up with after playing games with like a 26 land energy deck that didn't have enough ways to generate energy. It was like, okay, how do we, you know, get something a little better in here, a little bit more efficient, a little more like constructed focus. I think like that, that is likely where it came from to me. Like, I understand that, yes, design could just like nail that one or whatever, like they could come up with it, but like the role that it fills is it feels so much more developer-y than I think I, I probably bring a lot of bias into these questions with like how I do things in my own experience. Right. Because you're you're designing, but you still have an eye for dev and your constructed formats and stuff. Yes. And I'm I'm telling you that like I it, I feel like you ask the vast majority of designers, at least, you know, when I was around, and like a lot of those people are still around, it's like do you know what decks are in standard? They would have no idea. Interesting. Very interesting. It was always the developers that were like going to FNM, you know, not the designers. Yep. Yeah, I could see that. Anyway, uh, anyway, talk talk more about these mechanics. Yeah, yeah. So allow mechanics and archetypes to be built more effectively over time. You know, there there is sort of a shift that has changed how these things can be done in terms of getting away from the block for block model. Uh, but they achieved these things so, so successfully in the past. 
they they had decks that like came out early and were only made with seated cards later on and i don't think it actually had anything to do with the length of standard it had to do with the focus on standard the design focus where the entirety of what we're doing here is to like make a good standard format and that was the core of design development was make standard good modern will sort itself out legacy we definitely don't give a shit about like make standard good make limited good that's what we're here for that's what we're doing on the dev side and when that was the focus you you delivered on it and so the idea that like both these archetypes being built over time or the opportunity to create an environment where decks are more color and mechanic rather than mid-range have anything to do with time is a complete fallacy to me. They have to do with focus on the format that you care about. Like what is your primary goal? What is your primary seller? In this case, it's still commander and that's not going to change. And if this sort of new setup doesn't come in with the goal of getting magic cards back to the place where they don't do 20 things, where they don't just generate pieces of cardboard all over the place, then this is going to fail. It's not going to do anything. And it all comes back to the thing I've said a million times about specifically Fable of the Mirror Breaker. And I I feel glad that we can bring it back around to that card specifically because it is the poster child for a problem card in standard and deservedly so. But if you get rid of Fable of the Mirror, Mirror Breaker, there's a million other fables out there. Like yeah. just the same exact card that is 10 pieces of value. Uh, you know, Restoration of Aganjo can step up and be exactly that card. Uh, wedding Announcement. Like all these cards are just, there's so many pieces of cardboard in one that it doesn't actually matter which one of them is the focal point. This will always be it. You will always figure out how to generate the most cardboard if you keep designing cards in this fashion. It doesn't matter how much you want to see things like green, white, toxic, or blue, white soldiers. Things will always be mid-range if these are the type of cards you are designing, and it has nothing to do with how big the standard card pool is, how much time you have, how much how much you can reset an archetype and seed it for the future. This is all about where your focal point lies. And unless your focal point shifts back to standard, which is only thing in this announcement that could have been like oh shit they get it and they're going to bring this back 100 would have actually driven me to embrace their goals wholeheartedly believe what they were doing they have to say we are now designing our flagship sets with a focal point on standard if they did that then i would believe in this goal but everything else it just feels like lip service to me and a lot of it is rewriting past history denying the fact that we used to be able to do these things with you know color plus mechanic very well we used to have aggro decks we used to have pure control decks like all these things existed and it had nothing to do with the size of the card pool it had to do with the cards that existed within that card pool yes but okay i I think you're you're kind of merging two separate points in in a way that does make sense admittedly but like the the fact that that fable exists i think that the the uh optimistic version of me wants to look at it like oh there's like underlying tones here that you know makes me think that they know that that's the problem or whatever right and i'm i'm not convinced but assuming that that is the case and there are fewer fables and uh 
then again, like this, this announcement is kind of weird because I, I don't get why you wouldn't just rotate now and then be like, all right, it's like three years from here on out or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, like if they recognize that that was a problem. But anyway, the, the two points that I think that you're merging are the, the Fable problem and the being able to seed stuff. Like I, I agree that one supersedes the other. Right. But that doesn't mean that there weren't struggles with the ability to see things in the past. Like I said, something something comes out in set four or whatever, or even like take this as an example. Uh, Cons of Tarkir. Cons of Tarkir. I was going to ask, can you define the past? Like what what error specifically are we talking about? Yeah. So so Cons of Tarkir is set one. Right. And. When we were working on that set for, I would say, a majority of it, Teamer was probably the strongest uh, wedge for standard, at least based on our perception, right? But then, like, some stuff gets nerfed, some Absand stuff gets buffed, Anafens and Siege Rhino switch places, uh, Siege Rhino gets, like, this last-minute buff, we, we miss some stuff in testing also, like a lot of things had to like happen and change in order for things to like swap dramatically. And we certainly did not realize that at that point, like, okay, Abzan was the best by far, right? So then even after Abzan wins PT1, it's not until like set three or four where people are like, God damn it, we are sick of Abzan, right? Yep. And then at that point, if you're like in a development cycle for a set, you're like, oh, we need to like get something in there to help fix this or like bolster other archetypes or maybe bring back uh, some of like the teamer cards or like buff Jeskai a little bit better or or whatever. I mean, like the plan for, for all of that was to basically have a lot of ETB tap lands and no two drops, which incentivize people to play three color stuff. And then as time went on, you introduce stronger, like two-colored and multicolored stuff. So that the three-color stuff slowly phases out. And then at the very tail end of that eight-set standard window, maybe you introduce some seeded stuff to revitalize the three-color things. Mm. Just as like a last throwback, a last hurrah before they rotate out. And I, I think that that plan was rad. Yeah, it's uh, cool. But the way it played out, just like, no, nah, Abzan was good the entire time, right? And that basically sucked. And if we wanted to fix that, it basically would have had no impact whatsoever because not only are we not seeing uh, that Abzan is still, like, the best deck in, like, uh, you know, set five, set six, where it's, like, at this point, it should be kind of, like, phasing out or whatever. At that point, if, if we want to do anything about it, it's not going to actually get released into the wild until like Abzander's rotated out in the first place, you know? So like that is a real problem. It is definitely a real problem. And yeah, it's just like hand waving that problem away by saying like, Oh, well like you're, you're still building, you know, cards like fable or whatever. It's like, it, it is true, but like it, it kind of uh, undermines the fact that like it is a problem to begin with. Right. I agree. It's a problem but I don't actually think this solves that problem. And let me explain why. So the scenario you're describing. It, so it's it's better than nothing. Maybe. Which I, 
which is a I don't even bar, know that's true. It could actually be worse than nothing. And let me explain how I think it could be worse than nothing. So we're in the scenario you're describing, and now you're in a three-year standard. And now you do have that time window. You know Abzan has been a problem for this whole time. And you're able to seed for sets eight and nine really good either anti-Abzan stuff or, you know, you make two-color decks better and push them out. And that is now a reasonable time scale. Is that kind of like how you envision this would have played in that scenario, like giving that extra space? Yeah, I mean, it gives you the opportunity to do stuff like that. But yep. I don't know. I mean, there's there's also, you have more to play with on the timeline where it's like, granted, uh, you know, Theros was the block beforehand and Theros mostly sucked ass. Uh, so it was like, assume assume that Theros was like a Ravnica or something, right? Like something cool that people actually liked. And it was like, oh, well, around this time, like, we'll, you know, drop in some some seeds for for that old stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You you have more to play with on that timeline as far as, like, ensuring that there is churn versus, like, well, we overshot on this one archetype. And, I mean, you could argue, like, Jeskai also was maybe overshot a little bit, at least compared to the other stuff, right? And it... The, the the way that we had it set up, it was just like if you overshoot, it's it's just such a disaster, right? And I think that a lot of that stuff you can also look at where it was like, um, Delver was so bad that eventually like Thragtus came out, and like Cavern of Souls and stuff like that, and it's just like those were a problem for for two years because mm-hmm. they had to like look forward to solve that problem versus like constantly just buffing the backup stuff. It's like now you sort of have this buffer where if cons is overpowered and you miss the mark on it, but you're planning on seeding stuff that came before it, you have an opportunity to sort of like play around the fact that you overshot it. Does that make sense? It does, but and again, this is all theoretical, right? Like I, yeah. I am also on your side where it's just like I, I, if it feels kind of like bullshit to me, all of this does. I think even if you achieve this theoretical goal, though, let's talk about the time frames we're covering here. Like in this scenario of Ab- Abzan being too good, you're asking me to play a standard format where Abzan is too good for two years, and then in the third year, there's a reprieve I, if you I, nail it. I, yeah, so if Abzan is set one, I don't want to address it in set eight, right? Like yes. either either want to ban something or hopefully by it being a, a wider timeline that on like set five, set six, you can do something that seeds a thing that came before it. Because yeah. when it's two-year rotation and set one has like the powerful thing, then you're, you're just stuck with that. You have nothing to seed, right? maybe maybe you can achieve that. But the reason it could theoretically be worse than nothing is if you try and achieve that and you're so focused on that goal, like we're going to do this, we have this coming and it's going to fix this thing. Now you don't act on the problem, which is Abzan and has now dominated standard for two years. And you let that actually drive your player base away because you have this kind of grandiose plan where you think you are smart enough to solve it through this 
yeah. longer format. And, and you don't just ban something. No. And that's I, what probably needs to happen in that spot is you, you just ban something and sort the format out. So that that Absent era was also kind of similar to this one, honestly, where Rakdos was the biggest thing. Like, y'all, y'all remember Meat Hook Massacre? Like, mm-hmm. that was a card that was legal, right? And that got banned. Uh, and it, it didn't really do anything because the in theory, it was like, oh, well, now, like, aggro's viable. And it's like that all the aggro cards suck. Yeah. So it, it just still doesn't matter, right? So, yeah, they, they did address it in that fashion, uh, and, and nothing happened because uh, they just needed to hit more things, right? And I think yep. that Abzan format was pretty similar, too. It's like, what do you ban? Like, obviously, you could just ban Siege Rhino, and maybe that does it. But, like, I, I wouldn't want to, like, Siege Rhino's iconic and well-loved you know even if you hate it it's like you love to hate it right so i would i would want to attack that archetype in a different way but maybe there just isn't maybe you just have to do that or you have to go after multiple cards or whatever i don't know it's just all the cards along the curve were all just so good for that deck right yep that no they really were and that's sort of the problem you can run into i i think what it just points to is that this is not the answer what you actually need is focus on standard management of standard via probably more aggressive bands. If you're going to continue to make cards like Fable, Shouldred, Reckoner, Bankbuster, like just get rid of them all. Who cares? Like get rid of them all, make a new format. And I think that's completely fine if you're going to get buy-in to standard as like a format people are participating in. Uh, you know, there, there's certainly issues with like wild cards and the arena economy where this is kind of messed up but i i think that's why you saw alchemy mentioned and it, you know we always have a laugh at alchemy but like, I, I just don't even want to talk about that aspect of things okay that's fine we don't we don't have to talk about it but i i do think there's a reason it's in this announcement and it is the idea of like let's set up standard to be a unique thing basically what i come back to is that these three points do not matter what can actually save standard is organized play focus, a reason for me to care about standard via tournaments, uh, a local scene, whatever, just general community investment in standard and actively managed standard format that has a ban list that makes sense, that shows people care about the format, that are interested in keeping things fresh, that are, is interested in, uh, you know, preserving people's investments, interested in making more of the card pool viable. And then I think the the final thing that ultimately all of this hinges on is, are you designing for standard again? Are you making magic with the idea that if we make a good standard format and we make a good limited format, everything else can filter out from there. We don't need to hard target these, I almost said niche formats. They're not niche formats, like actually more popular formats, uh, which is why they get hard targeted. But you believe that you have enough products to target those now. And that's what like, that's where this announcement could be really exciting to me. If it came out and it said, we have incredible products for serving our commander players. We have all these decks that we make on every set. We have infinite sets a year that are focused solely towards the commander market. We have products to serve our modern players. We have this Lord of the Rings set coming. We have our modern horizons, modern masters. All these things are focused on modern players. Our core sets are going back 
to serving standard players. That is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be built around the idea of making the best standard possible, making the best limited possible, and you'll find your modern and commander cards elsewhere. Then I think you have a home run announcement that I could 100% buy into. Until you do that, though, it's just all lip service. And they won't do that because there's way too much money left on the table from doing that. Yeah, so I, they'll never I, do it. I do agree with that. I, I do want to be clear that I do think that they have been still designing sets with standard in mind. But you are right in that there are other goals that uh, have superseded that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't look at the number of legends that are presently <laughs> standard and say that there's not a shift. There is literally a legends tribal deck. Uh, so yeah. Oh, that's, that's weird. I wonder why, why that happened right now. Um, I, I do want to say that like all the stuff that I'm talking about, like it's, it's kind of weird where I, I'm, I feel like I come across as like, that is what I want the plan to be or whatever. And I, I actually don't want that to be the plan where it's like, oh yeah, if, if we just blow it, you know, we'll, we'll fix it with like future stuff or whatever, because the lag time on that is so huge. And mm -hmm. ideally the plan is that like, you don't blow it in the first place or there are stop gaps already in place and trying to like hard puppeteer what sort of like decks and archetypes and like cards people are going to be playing with is just a bad idea because yep, it doesn't do it. work. No, I agree 100%. And dude, I was so dumb back in 2013 when I worked there, right? But this is one thing that I think I got right, which was all I really wanted to do was to ensure that Standard had a relatively flat power level and to make sure that there was like a bunch of fun stuff to do. Mm -hmm. And then make hopefully- a sandbox for people to play in. Yeah, hopefully that just sorts itself out. And if- things happen where there is like a fable of the mirror breaker or there is a color combination where it has the best disruption removal life gain threats uh top end you know it's like well yeah then we blew it in that aspect right and hopefully that is just not the case but like if it is you need more tools to deal with that and i think back then they were sort of loath to ban something in standard 100 yes, and i probably was too honestly i think so I, I think that's just how we approach things for a long time and now i'm just know, like I, let it rip yeah get I, it out i do think there was a period where the game was much better for it where like the entire financial market was being driven by standard there was a lot of risk in banning standard cards and like trace the mind sculptor was a hundred dollar standard card because it was a standard card that's it that that's why it cost that much well and in that to be fair there weren't a lot of other places you could play it right but in that era it was a huge huge risk to go ahead and ban a card like that uh when you basically asked your players to you know shell out however many dollars for four jaces and that's how you participated in standard. Yeah, I would have been real pissed back then. I mean, I wouldn't have been, but like I would have understood people who were real pissed back then. And I, I do think it was something you had to consider. I, I just don't think it's the case anymore. And you need to see that as a blessing and so, start using it as such. So, uh, Meat Hook Massacre topped out at uh, around, I, I guess there was like a brief window where it was pushing towards 80. But like about 70 was where it was at, right? Yeah. It was not 
necessarily being driven by standard. Certainly there is some amount of that because it gets banned. Now it's simply $40 instead of 70. But like that is way less of a hit than the situation you're talking about with Jace where it's like, well, if Jace goes from like, you know, standard is one of the only formats and you can't play it anywhere else and it gets banned and it becomes like a $5 card from a $100 card, that sucks. Which uh, it might have done, honestly. Maybe. I mean, it, it might have, like, I'm sure we could find a an analog that is not specifically Jace the Mind Sculptor because, like, at that point, the card was iconic and, you know, yeah. would have retained at least some value. But, like, certainly, you know, Jace was very low for a very long time where it was, like, not very good in Legacy, was banned in Modern, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, it was creeping down for sure. But like maybe still is. Yeah, I mean Shieldred is in kind of a similar spot where it's like 70 and it's like let's say that gets banned in standard or whatever. It's like it's really not that big I a just deal. I don't think it matters that much. Yeah. yeah. It's not. And for stuff like Bankbuster, I mean Bankbuster's like $4 again, yep. not that big of a deal. There's, there's 400 versions of it, right? So yeah. you can always buy the cheapest version and that's that is good by the way. Like one of the best things for standard is that there are 4 million versions of every card and you should be able to buy the cheapest version of a card and put together a standard deck very cheaply if you get rid of some of these outliers. And to be honest with you, I actually think Shouldred's price is more of a reason to ban the card as it exists right now than a reason not to ban it. I think things have flipped that much that you actually do not want that card to be part of your standard environment in part because of its cost. It's really bad for new players coming in. Or, I mean, it's really good for new players coming in if, like, yeah, there's not a $70, like, oh, you kind of have to have this card to play sort of thing. But, like, for all the people who have already bought in, it, it certainly sucks there. So it's, yeah, I mean... In, in a longer term, certainly over the course of three years, that may be a correct move, but it's also kind of weird where it's like, ah, anytime we get a, a card that is expensive and standard, we got to ban it or whatever. It's like, I don't think that's a great place to be either. Yeah, what, what you hope for and what has very much manifested is that the cards that are, because this isn't like, this is a zero-sum game, right? Like there, cards have to carry the weight of the cost of a booster pack. And it's always going to be assigned across the set to various things. The best case scenario for standard is that your commander cards are like the 40 and $50 cards and they carry a huge amount of the value of a booster pack. And then all the standard stuff actually becomes much, much cheaper. Yeah. And, but you know, when you have the exciting. stuff that has crossover, then it's like, oh yeah, yeah, this is not great. Yeah, that's, that's danger. But that goes back to the idea of like, if you were just designing these core sets with mostly standard cards, there should be less crossover. And then you start to get to the question like, well, who wants these cards then? And that is hard to answer. That is, that is the problem is that you have to have successfully built out your standard ecosystem again before you actually have somebody who wants to buy a product that is shifted away from modern, from commander and focused back on standard. Like the scenario I'm describing is just a complete, all-time low seller and like i said i don't think there's any chance wizards will ever do that so yeah i mean meat hook is kind of the primary example of this where it's just i mean i guess shieldred's another one where it's very very aggressively costed for what is very clearly a cool commander effect and like Mm -hmm. something people will latch on to and it's like maybe those should not explicitly be the same thing or like maybe those should just not be the mythic rares yep 
Um, I, I think that's a good discussion to have too. What is supposed to be a mythic and what's supposed to be a a, a plain old rare? I, like it's really interesting question. Shieldred, okay, it's a Praetor. They're all going to be mythics, whatever. But it's like maybe that text should just not be on the Shieldred. You know, maybe, maybe it should be on something else. Like there's uh there's like the esper card that did something similar that was like an uncommon obviously it's like way worse rate or whatever but it's like there's no reason it has to be on a mythic rare like no you're right if if this card was just a rare and it wasn't a praetor it would be exactly the same in the standard context not exactly the same there are very small differences but close enough anyway and you get to make your staple card uh, that doesn't cost a billion dollars. Yeah, but then there are also some goals where it's like, well, if we're going to make this set with these characters, ideally we would like some of them to show up. You know, it's it, like it is cool to have like a story character be in a headlining deck or whatever. And yeah, I, but they I, got I, away from that, that, right? Like the, they've a- actively stated, and this is the problem when you only give a few bits and pieces. I'm, of- I'm just saying it is a good thing because like now Shieldred is a character that people will remember based on like the power level of the cards. It's very similar to like Jace the Mind Sculptor, right? It's it, it's pros and cons that come along with it for sure. But when it whenever yeah. it does happen, I think it is like there there are very positive aspects I can see. I don't know the answer to that question. I I, I know my personal answer, and I'm trying to divorce myself from my personal answer and just think of the broader answer. My personal answer is that it does not matter whatsoever. And I think the vast majority of players, it does not matter whatsoever when it comes to something like a Praetor with, with Jace, I think it's a little different because it's like a headline named character. I don't think Shieldred has that same level of resonance. No, I know that could just be me, but I'm saying like it, it allows Shieldred to punch up a little bit. To the point where it's like, you might not, you know, 10 years from now, you might not remember any of the Praetors, but you'll remember Shieldred, right? Maybe. I remember uh, Vorinclex, because I don't know how to pronounce his name. That's the one that That was correct. That was great. You nailed it. Got it this time. You used to say Vorniclex. Vorniclex, yes. That's what I said for a very long time. We had a real uh, Bernstein Bear situation on our hand where you're like, what? Yes. Did they go back and unprint like all the Vorniclexes? I I almost wrote the angry email to, to Wizards. I, oh, yeah. You're, you're just like about to hit send on the tweet or whatever. And then you're like, wait, I should I should double check. This. Let's double check this one. Yeah. Anyway, man. Uh, sandbox, transparency, uh, actually meaning what they say. Like... It's, it's just one of those things where it's like, do they actually care? Because it's so strange to me where, you know, suddenly, like, even in that article, like Aaron had some tweet from uh, November of 2022, where it's like, why don't y'all play standard anymore? It's like, because y'all don't do shit with it. Yeah. You, you don't run any events uh, in it. <laughs> We've tried nothing and we're you, all out of ideas. Yeah, you don't, you don't ban things that are very obviously problematic. Like, you don't do anything to make it so that this format matters. Why the hell would I play this? Right? And then they're just like, oh man, like why, why don't people like standard or whatever? It's like, are you, I mean, granted that that tweet was from a while ago. So if that was kind of like when they started thinking about it, like, okay, yeah, it took a while to come up with a plan. And, and it does, by it the does. way. Like, yeah, yeah. Like you, you're, you're changing a lot of how stuff works in house. And also in terms of the development side of things, like it's way harder to keep track of like a 
12 set format than an eight set format and like develop for that thing. Like they're developing for uh, modern horizons, for example, was hard as hell because there are just a ton of cards and it was more cards in the format meant that there were like more decks that needed to be tested and everything, right? Mm -hmm. More decks that needed to be built and just like physically carried around and every, like it does add a lot. You're just, you're adding another 33% or whatever into the thing. I guess 50%. I don't know. Like it's, you, you have to take the steps to like actually okay that and, and get it, you know, push through and, and everything. Yep. And that does make sure time. your your teams are strong and well-staffed. Like all that stuff matters a lot. Right. So yeah, maybe, maybe it did take like, you know, six, seven months or whatever to like get an actual plan into place or whatever. But, uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they, they should have been able to know that this was a problem and know, some of the reasons why but like obviously i don't know exactly like where their head is at like what sort of things that they're focused on like i could i could totally understand them being focused on like other stuff and then you just kind of wake up one day and you're like oh wait like we weren't actually yeah. focusing on this thing and like now we realize it's a problem oh shit well, let's let's not forget too that they have to deal with the corporate structure so like if there's someone in charge who like you can't produce the right powerpoint presentation to convince them that focusing on standard is a good idea and they're just like no we're not going to do this anymore that that's it you you like you can't fight against that in a lot of ways you have to uh you have to put together your case you have to put together an evidence-based case and something like this tweet can very much be the foundation of an evidence-based case to go ahead and present yeah. no that's the ladder that's and that's fair yeah it, there's so many complications with uh making magic that i do not envy for all these folks and uh i i hope I still am able to express some appreciation and uh, just just gratitude for what they do. I, I, I don't think it's easy, even if I complain a lot. So uh, I hope that shines through still. Uh, I mean, again, a lot of our reviews for like the sets themselves are glowing. They're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, I don't know, man, like the last couple of years, especially of, of sets and cards, like the cards are are cool they are exciting and uh you know certainly they have like a lot more text and maybe there are some outlier problems and everything and maybe the uh focus on commander or whatever is uh not ideal like it is for their bottom line but it is not ideal for us as people who want to have sets for like competitive tournament formats or whatever. And there's yep. just like a lot of competing goals in place now. And yes, there is. It, it didn't used to be like that, it, but like a lot of that is like not the designers or developers faults. And like, they're, they're doing a bang up job despite all that stuff. So yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's a hard context to work under. Like it used to be very easy for me to think about uh, how to fix these problems. And, you know, if you followed my writing over the years, you'd see, I've, I put forth a lot of, oh, well, why don't we try this, this, and this? I it, it is not easy for me to suggest those things anymore because I'm starting to just realize how complicated their internal structures are right. and uh, how complicated their competing goals are. And it's not as clean as do one thing or another. It's just you have to balance all this stuff at the same time. And I, I am not at all envious of it. Yeah. Capitalism. I'll get you every time. All right. So end of the day, what, what do we want from this? What do we, 
like ideally want to see from this it's it's just got to be uh it's got to be wholesale buy-in it's got to be actual wanting to raise standard to the level of a flagship format once more and i think ultimately it's going to have to be a question of are you willing to sacrifice a dollar or two in the short term like i I do think you have to turn the way you're designing cards a little bit to be more focused on a standard environment if you want standard to succeed and that maybe makes your set less popular with the commander players i don't even know if that's true though man like I, i it just feels like an unstoppable juggernaut and like commander players just want more cards they're just like more 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 and they they don't care if like 250 of the 300 cards are pointed towards them like i think if you just give them 50 they can also be satisfied with that i kind of feel like the opposite might be true too where when they are very heavy-handedly trying to design cards for a commander that does not feel good like commander commander as a format existed and you know like flourished and thrived for many many years when it was a format that was played with cards that were not designed for it you know like Mm. people found like these hidden gems that ended up being good like ian commander and they loved that aspect about it but then when things start getting released where it's like very clearly just the, the words on it are like, you know, put me in Commander. your deck or your deck is bad or whatever. It's yeah. like, that's not as cool. Uh, yeah. And certainly there are members of that community, which you and I are very distant from, but I do get some bleed in. Uh, there's, there's certainly people in that community who feel underserved, who feel frustrated with the pace of things. And again, then it's, you go it's back. a sandbox thing, right? It's like, don't tell me what to do. Like, just make cool shit and I'll figure it out. Yep. But you go back to the dollars and they're selling the products to somebody. And I I still continue to make the same argument that I know what they're doing is in some ways successful. But was Magic always destined to be a success in this era? Did it, is it actually the shift that has made them this infinite money? And in terms of making more products, yes, you found like the time when Appetite was at its absolute apex and you made as many products as you possibly can. That's always going to make you more money. But I'm just talking about terms of popularity and how many players they were. Right. If they just continued down the same path and the cultural zeitgeist shifted a little bit towards gaming and towards these more quote-unquote nerdy pursuits and uh, you know everything that's gone on in the world, including pandemics and the desire to like bond with people again and share a table again, if all that happens in the absence of this just hard drive towards commander and targeting everyone with universes beyond like does magic still grow exponentially and in my heart i believe the answer is yes but that's always just going to be conjecture and i have no way to prove that yeah and it's tough too because you need a format in place like a way to play the game that serves someone with a more like casual attitude or appetite. Right. And mm-hmm. it just so happened that commander was the thing that existed at that time that, that served that player base. And then Watsy just got to lean into that. Yeah. And it like, I, I, I agree with you that it's like, it didn't necessarily have to be commander 
it could have been something else, but like that's just the way it played out. And then at that point, like, yeah, you sell more products to those people because you're just getting like this massive influx of new players and players who maybe were lapsed or players who are now like willing to just like double or triple down on how much they spend on magic because it just ends up becoming such a big and important part of their life and everything. So it yeah. didn't also the, the right people it. ended up with disposable income too. Like that's a huge yeah. part of it. Like the industries that succeeded over the last 10 years have very much been congruent with gamers and uh, that kind of disposable income, the collecting, all of that stuff has just formed a perfect storm for magic. Yeah. Also very true. But you know, uh, again, like, working professionals do not necessarily have like the drive or the time to go compete in Grand Prix or whatever. So it, it did have to be a casual thing, right? Something with less of a buy-in possibly. So, yeah, I don't know. Like if, if like that sort of thing didn't exist or they weren't willing to focus on it as more, like would it have caught on as much? Like would you have like post Malone playing magic or whatever and like loving it? Like, I don't know also don't know but like the seed was there right like the dude talked about playing in his youth so obviously there was something yeah no absolutely and like it it sort of goes hand in hand with the revitalization of like board games and stuff like yeah. that too where it's like what you want a tabletop thing to do it's like this is kind of like the og like magic D, whatever like all of these things were around you just have to find a way to be able to engage under the limitations that you have and I, I do think in a lot of instances, like magic as strictly a competitive endeavor would have not served those people. Yep. So yeah, fair point. Whatever. Uh doesn't matter. Uh I I want them to just ban shit more. And yes. I, I do I do want them to focus on it, uh, as you've said, but I also feel like I might be more in the camp of they have been more so than you are. And I think that they've just been trying to serve goals that are sometimes competing with each other, which yep. is obviously not fun and very difficult, but they've been, you know, doing their best or whatever. And I, I do think that like those goals can exist. Uh, they can't both be number one. There has to be some compromise there. Absolutely. And I don't know, maybe there is a world in which stuff like Meat Hook Massacre, if you decide like, hey, this would be a fun thing for Commander and this is the sort of like sweeper effect that we want in standard. Well, it's like maybe, you know, this this should not be the case. Um, like if this is the power level that we want for Commander, but maybe this is not the power level we want for standard, then one of them has to go or like there are just two versions like, put the three casting cost one in the standard set and the two casting cost one in the commander deck. I don't care. You know? Yep. Yeah. I would be looking at non-traditional solutions at this point for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. Exactly. And there, there are just a lot of knobs always, you know, there are definitely things that you can do when you are making products directly that serve commander audiences. Uh, certainly you can do stuff like that. Obviously you need to make standard sets appealing for commander players because they will certainly buy cards and you can do that in ways where you make like some of the funky cards that are good in commander just like put them in the standard set instead of the commander deck maybe you know like th that is mm -hmm. also a thing you can do like 
it it does look kind of ugly where it's like what the hell is this thing doing here you know but it does have a command have a commander slot in standard things uh where like they sure have a unique border and they're not legal and standard and they stand out as such but uh every pack gets one commander slot card or something uh, yeah i i think that's completely fine just like make a list that is focused more towards commander or something that'd be cool with me I don't like the idea of putting cards in standard boosters that are not legal and standard, but clearly they have uh, already done that. Yeah, completely just disregarded that. So whatever. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that this stuff is doable. I think that they they certainly have the power to revitalize standard. I don't know that this solves all their problems. And I'm also, I don't know, skeptical of like the timing and the messaging and whether or not they will be transparent and do the things that it that it takes to actually make this work. Uh, I think there would be a massive amount of confidence gained when they announce that they're like banning Fable and whatever else. You know, yep. yeah. The the simplest and like the most easy to enact advice I could give is just go ban a lot of stuff. Yeah, like and keep doing it. That I think that's the easiest thing. And prove be- prove that you mean it. Be transparent, be clear, be direct, discuss your internal processes for determining whether or not you would ban something, talk about potential for unbanning, like all of it. Just lay out as much as you possibly can to your standard player base. That is how you win. I, I'm telling you from experience, we've been through this. We like we built that kind of trust from our player base by doing exactly that. And you you got to do it from day one though. And I think the the proof exists in how we even approach this announcement where we're automatically approaching Skeptical. it with skepticism yep. because they have a bad track record. So at that point- No, you have to rebuild your relationships for it, sure. Exactly. So, I mean, you could put in the work to try and do that, which may not even be a certainty, right? And if you task that job out to someone, like it's going to take years, right? What are the odds that- that person stays with you for years and everything. And I think that that's part of it too. It's just like, you- that's, that's just, it's the same question. It's the same level of commitment. Like, do you make, do you pay someone enough that they'll stay with you? Do you treat someone well enough that they'll stay with you? Like it's the same <laughs> yeah. level of commitment. We know the answers to those questions. The answer is no. Yeah. So, you know, as soon as you find a better uh, offer from like Bungie or Riot or whatever, like you're gone. And yeah. that's the best way to also like, get a raise at Wizards is to get hired by a AAA studio and then come back demanding more money. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the reason uh, I don't work at Wizards, I think, doesn't have a whole lot to do with uh, my capacity or at least occasional willingness on their point, their part to employ me. It has a lot more to do with the level of commitment they show to their employees. So. Yeah. So I don't know. It, I, I see their hesitancy. But I also think that they could just be like way more aggressive in like they have more power than I think that they realize as far as controlling the narrative is concerned. Maybe, maybe a good way of putting it. And I I think at this this point, they've basically just given up. It's like, it's impossible. We can't beat the Twitter mob. And it's like, I I do think you can. It's going to take some work. Um, And especially if you go at it from kind of like, you know, this this milquetoast sort of way or whatever it's going to take an even longer time or whatever, but you could, 
you could just kind of like be an asshole about it and just have a like take no shit kind of attitude. And I think that would get you pretty far as long as like you are actually being transparent. Like people would figure that out very quickly. You just can't let yourself get like walked all over, you know? I think so. That's a lot to ask from an individual employee. So No, I- it is because like they, they just have to show up to work every day, like willing to fight. Yeah. Right. And uh I you know, it's it's a it's a big ask, you know, for like seventy K a year or whatever. It's like, oh God, do I really want to go to battle oh, I, with, with Twitter every single I day? Would not I would not do it for seventy K a year, that's for sure. Yeah, while while living in Seattle also, you know. Yeah. Like you can you can live in Kent if you want, but like that that's also not a good thing. Enjoy your two hour commute. Yeah. Anyway, uh closing thoughts. Anything else? Uh, no, no closing thoughts. I, I wish them the best. I hope it goes well. I would like a standard that I could care about. Me too, man. Cause I don't know that that was effectively like where we drove the show, right? Yep. Like the word arena is literally in the name and it has been a joke for so They got long. us. Yep. They, they got us. They got us good. Uh, re, 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 re brand coming at you soon. Maybe Any not. Minute now. Maybe not very soon, but you know. Uh I I yeah, dude, I'm I'm right there with you. I want this to work. I, I want standard to be good. I think Magic needs more than two formats, and I think it does need one with a lower buy-in. I think that maybe three years, if they handle it well, gives players some confidence that you know their their purchase will carry them a little bit longer. I know that being more willing to ban things kind of like throws a wrench into that, but I'm telling you, like if people are, are buying into having like a full standard collection or whatever, banning a fable and unbanning like 50 cards will feel good, not bad to them. Oh, just, just real quick too. I, I think there is a very big difference between banning cards and banning decks. And for a long time, yes. Yes, they absolutely. banned decks and they, they need to get better at banning cards instead. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, granted, I think, that's what the meat hook band was. Yeah, it was. To do, but it wasn't quite there. It's hard. It's really hard to do. Right. But yeah, I mean, at that point, it's like, okay, we'll also like ban Fable and you you still have the majority of your investment, right? Like the remaining Rakdos cards are still like a couple hundred dollars, right? It's not yep. like it becomes bad or anything either. So whatever, please work, please. I just, I, I like being able to cover standard because more happens in standard. It seems like than in, you know, pioneer and modern Yeah, standard could change week to week. Yeah. Or, or at least just give us a third format to work with. Then we can just like rotate and everything. You know, I, I think that all of this would do a lot of good, but also like hold standard tournaments. Like what the hell? Yeah, that's, I don't know if that's number one or number two, but it's it, they're right up there for sure. It is up there. All right, that's it. I'm done. Uh, I hope I hope this did not come across as like too negative or whatever. Uh, again, I think that if if you kind of like zoom out, look at it from the bigger picture of of what we're saying and how we're feeling, it's like you know we we do love magic. We are optimistic about the future and everything. And uh, yeah, just hope that you know focus in on like the minutia of like us honing in on like some negative point or whatever, because that's, that's not, I, I don't want you to come here and have like a bad time or like leave, leave in a bad mood. You know, that's not my goal. So. Yeah. 
I recommend taking painkillers before you listen to this podcast. <laughs> You'll be in a great spot. Or or taking a nap mm, after, probably, you know, sleep it off. Yeah, that'll work. Game. Good luck.